0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Final Mile Club podcast, or as we're calling it, FM radio, a little call out to everyone over 35 out there. This series explores life after graduation through conversations with industry professionals across the fields of the arts, media, performance, design, and beyond. My name is Sarah Bay and I'm the Dean of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance and Design at York University. This is part one of a very special series of episodes that were taped in front of a live audience with a round table on women in the arts. I hope you enjoy. Welcome everyone uh, to our first uh, live recording of the Final Mile Club podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that that very spontaneous uh, welcome uh, of of, of applause. I'm I'm so delighted. This was the brainchild of of my dear colleague, uh, Len Milley, who thought it would be a really wonderful idea to bring a group of people together for International Women's Day. And as I've said to our panelists in recognition of International Women's Day, I'm not going to ask them any questions about being women um, or about being women leaders in the arts. Instead, I'm going to ask uh, them questions that they usually ask the men. Uh, about the arts itself, and that will be my gesture towards International Women's Day. Um, So I really want to welcome you all. (laughs) First, let me introduce the amazing people who are are here with me on stage. So immediately to my left is Mumbi Thumbaya Otu. Mumbi is an Artistic Director of Obsidian Theatre, an acclaimed theater creator and director, Uh, Raised in Kenya and Victoria, B.C., now based in Toronto, we're very fortunate to have you. Um, And has been doing amazing, uh, innovative work in Canadian theatre industry here uh, at at all kinds of places, Cannes Stage, Obsidian, but but thank you so much for for being with us today. Really excited to have you. Next to her is Jennifer Holmes, president, writer, producer of Hungry Eyes Media. Canadian Screen Award winner Wholeness brings powerful, thought-provoking black stories to the TV and silver screen through her production company, Hungry Eyes Media. She's earned a Best Writing Canadian Screen Award for Guns alongside four additional Canadian Screen Award wins and a Rose Door International. Thank you so much for being with us, Jennifer. Moving stage left, uh, Beth Jansen, who is now Chief Operating Officer for the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, So she, I think you walk red carpets for a living now, is that not, right? Um, Beth has created space for innovation and diversity in North America's leading cultural sector for over two decades. Uh, She established the Tribeca Film Festival New Media Fund for Transmedia Works, and then went on to become CEO of the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television. Welcome Beth. Laura Friedman is producer, director of Wrapped Productions. Colombian-born, Toronto-based creative producer and director. She explores gender equality, human rights, intergenerational trauma, diaspora, and healing through TV and film. Her work has been featured on CBC, Yes TV, and See Good TV with her production company. Great to have you. Thank you so much for being here. And rounding out our distinguished panel uh, is Amanda Cordner, uh, currently taking the country by storm as Seven, a hip queer art gallery owner on the HBO Max hit Canadian show, Sort Of, which I will also say is kind of a hotbed of York alumni. Uh, There's there's a lot of uh, York folks involved with that show. I think so. But none more important than you. Uh, Amanda's been hailed for her intelligence and electric intensity in stage shows like Featherweight. Um, and her newest show, Body So Fluorescent, uh, will be playing uh, in just a couple of months. I think it opens next, next month. month.
1: Next month, April 11th at Buddies and at, Bad Times.
0: At Buddies and Bad Times. So welcome, Amanda. And welcome all of our distinguished uh, alumni here today. So thank you all very much for being here. Um, One of the things, I I have a whole range of of things I'd like to to get your feedback on and and talk to you about, but one of the first things that that came to my mind um, in thinking about uh, this panel and and the profession and and what our students might wanna know going out is, is to kind of cast an eye back over the past couple of years around the question of equity. So in, in summer of 2020, there were a lot of calls, a lot of statements, uh, a lot of commitments by organizations uh, to, 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 to do that work um, and to move in new directions. And I'm curious from your different vantage points as you know, independent creators, people involved with organizations, leaders, wh- where, where do you see the conversation around equity? Are, are we, as we get further away from the urgency uh, in in the summer of 2020, and, and the immediate wake of the murder of George Floyd, uh, do questions of equity still seem as pressing as they did? Have we made the kind of shifts and changes that were anticipated or or advocated for then? Um, and what are the what are the next steps that that people should be aware of and be thinking about as as we go forward? I'll, I'll open it up to the panel and take comments from from anyone.
2: I I, I could jump in. Please. Um, So uh, when George Floyd was murdered, um, there was, uh, in our industry, as a a film and television writer and producer, uh, director as well, um, there was a lot of conversation about the fact that there was a fundamental misunderstanding about um, what the opportunities were for diverse people in the Canadian industry. There was almost no thought given to us by the larger um, system. And so uh, we, as artists, made uh, a major push for that change. One of the things that happened, I was the founder of the Black Screen Office. We had no national organization that looked and took care of or thought about black folks in the industry, um, and uh, that was um, two years later or three years later almost, um, uh, w- there's been a lot of accomplishments. Another organization that I helped to start is one called CISF, Canadian Independent Screen Fund, to build... a. Uh, Twenty million dollar fund for BPOC creators, and I, I, I raise those two. And I'm also the on the the board of the Canadian Media Producers Association uh, on the executive board. I raise these because from that vantage point, I've been able to see what. Uh, is being done. I've been. I'm involved in a lot of the conversations of what should be done, what is being done, and what's not being done. And I think looking looking over this time, there has been um, actual movement forward. So there's been acknowledgement. Um, certain broadcasters have absolutely committed to uh, change. First of all, acknowledgement is huge because most of my career there wasn't even the slightest sense that anything needed to be changed, that there was any problem. And the fact that artists would, uh, there would be like this big group of artists graduating and then they would just fall off. And then there was no one, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, walking into the rooms in Cannes, in, um, in Berlin, in London, and being only the one of two or three or four, everybody thought that was perfectly normal. So, (laughs) <laughs> there has been a change, but here's the thing: what this twenty million dollar fund that I'm trying to to raise with a, a group um, that hasn't happened yet, and the unique thing about that fund is for us by us. And so that means that we get to adjudicate, we get to decide the parameters, we get to bypass some of the challenges that the official system has with this kind of a fund that hasn't been funded yet. So there you are. But at the same time, there has been um, more work, there has been more investment. Um, but it's all many, much of it has come through um, the established channels, and that's a good thing. Um, so, but the question that I have, that I think you're asking, is what is that is that now over? Because as a as a black producer creator, believe me, the the number one thing on my mind has been when is this gonna stop? Mm-hmm. Like when are they gonna you know when is the investments going to to stop? And and the fact of the matter is we also have um, uh, folks, non-black folks in particular, who are weary after just three years (laughs) of actual change the idea of leveling the playing field and then folks are like oh are we done with this yet you know so so there is a you know so a lot has changed a lot more needs to be changed but I think that we have to keep pressing forwards hard because we have not leveled the playing field there is a great deal more to be done and that's sort of been my experience in a like a nutshell yeah.
0: thank you so much for for that yeah Laura
3: um, so my experience is comes from community grassroots filmmaking um, and I, I have seen a big change I know that my experience before the uprisings of 2020 and all of the equity uh, lack of equity that was exposed um, I was coming from a place where I was hustling and searching and trying to find work, and suddenly a lot of programs became accessible to uh, BIPOC creators. So I I am Colombian, so I identify as um, in that group. And so I was able to officially start my company, my production company, and engage in a number of different um, content, like film, TV series, and all these things. But it was thanks to all of these programs that were created by many organizations The Black Screen Office is right up there um, leading the way. The Indigenous Screen Office, a lot of programming with WIFT. There's all of these organizations, and what I see that are creating opportunities that I I know that I grew professionally and my company grew professionally, I was able to create things because these things were made accessible, because they were uh, exposed. One of the challenges that I see right now is that a lot of these BIPOC creators are kind of In this soup of development in a stage of development where we're developing projects. We're packaging TV series We're creating a feature or a documentary whatever it is that we're creating and we're kind of um, A lot of investment went into that into the development stage of projects and it's I I, I absolutely love that stage It's where you get to be creative. You get to explore you get to look at characters. You get to have so much fun Um, but then I think there's this gap that we need to learn about bridging. How do we get people who are in development who maybe are just starting out? And I'm not just saying starting out at a young age. It could be, you know, a mother who's returning from work after a while or any, you know, when I say emerging or starting out, I refer to anyone who's kind of putting their feet into the into the field for the first time or returning. Um, how do you move from that stage of development to actual producing and not having to only uh, do things that are low budget, or mm-hmm. uh, run shows or run films that are all kind of created because of in-kind donations and pulling favors. But really, um, I think there's an opportunity to learn of how to move these BIPOC filmmakers into the next level of of producing higher budgets and really providing very very unique um, refined mentorship. There's a lot of mentorship programs out there, but very refined, practical. And I think they're coming up. I know like um, the CMF has a, a wonderful program coming up for producers um, so that you can get into more of these higher level of production where you're actually making the shows and putting them out there. And it's not just in the ideation uh, stage.
0: That That is often a, um, a gap uh, between and I think different disciplines describe it differently, but between the emerging artist, and and there's a lot of support to start off, and and then there are, uh, you know, I think in a lot of fields, you know, we know when people have arrived, right, and, and are setting their own agenda, and that's actually very few people, but it's that, it's that you know, what do we do when people are mid-career? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I knew an independent uh, theater guy in New York, and he's like, I've been emerging for 20 years, um, and now no one will treat me as an emerging, but I still don't have the resources mm-hmm. to kind of go. So I, I think that gap exists in a whole bunch of places, and I, I think it's a it's a really important part of this this larger piece. Mm-hmm. Lumi, I'm I'm wondering how yeah. how you approach this.
4: Yeah, I, I think I mean I. I uh came into my position, current position, as Artistic Director of Obsidian Theatre, which is the largest black theatre company in the country, just before the pandemic hit. And the biggest change that I've seen over the last few years is like the, the leadership in the city and in the country has really changed. So there are most most of the venued theatre companies in the in the city are run by uh people of color and like most of them and and across the country we've just seen that diversification all across and so as a result of that there's more shows being programmed uh uh, that that are by you know black playwrights or indigenous uh writers all across uh, all across the city so there's more there's just more work and what what's what's great about that is that there's a possibility of um being able to retain artists uh artists uh like working or like so you can have a black actor who's who's not just going to be in a show that obsidian is producing that year but they're going to be in shows across the whole season so there's more work for everybody which is which is great it's not all just it's not that uh, the pressure is not just on the cultural specific companies to employ uh, artists of color. So that's exciting. I think that there's the in terms of nuances and leadership change I think there's just the expectation of leadership styles to be to be you know the traditional leadership style. So there's a sense of like okay now you're in this position. Uh, I'm used to being led by you know, in a way that uh, maybe a white male would lead. And it's it's very nuanced. It's not things that people actually know. It's just psychological. We're just coming out of years and years of this. So actually, actually people actually being like no you're gonna be this play has nothing to do with race or whatever but you're gonna your leader is a, a, you know a, a black man or a, 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 a black woman or whatever and so just the nuances of process and how of process and how leadership how how to lead and different ways of leading I think that that's definitely something that people have have not fully, Fully, really understood in our industry, it's more like okay. I think we got a black person here, we got a queer person there, we got an indigenous person there. Good, but we are not actually going deeper to actually do the work to, uh, to kind of like, um, which is which is harder. It's the harder, longer work. And I think that the other thing is uh, with culture-specific companies, there hasn't been uh, any real changes in terms of funding that are that are sustainable. So there's like the you know. To catch the money while you can, you know. Catch the money, catch the the money that's coming at you now. But in terms of like as as a not-for-profit that depends on funding from government bodies and whatever, you always kind of are are eligible for incremental increases in funding. But in in terms of that, even in the playing field, that's kind of like it really for there to be real equity, it really. You really need to shake the 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 money pool quite drastically for for um, for our company that maybe has been around for 22 years, but has had a a budget of much smaller than a sim company because of because of systemic issues to actually be be able to be eligible for not just incremental increases, but like actually. Big fundamental increases that will shift the culture of an organization and therefore shift the culture of the artists that that organization serves. So, there's just we're just scratching the surface, uh, and we just need to be prepared to go deeper with all the work on all levels.
0: I think that's also such a piece. I'm just thinking about again, and sort of thinking about the professional development. Mm you know how companies are funded, mm-hmm. how they're structured, the budgets, mm-hmm. the the governance, the organizational. I think these things are are really invisible mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to to most of us starting out. Mm-hmm. Is there are there certain things that you th- that you think uh, aspiring artists, creatives, you know, but also uh, you know perhaps folks who may go into administration and producing and and take on those roles mm-hmm. should be thinking about or or know about that um, mm-hmm. beyond. I think the really important point you make, yeah. which is that not all companies that have been around for the same amount of time have been funded and supported in the same way.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and I think I think it does shift. I mean, in terms of, I feel like when I was starting out, what the programs are available are very different from even now. So I think it's always shifting, and um, and uh, I think I think the big thing is getting really familiar with all the different art councils' websites because they are always updating all the different kinds of programs available to individual artists versus Organizations versus um, independent collectives, versus so there's 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 so many different types of funding out there, and it can be overwhelming. Uh, And I think that connecting to the companies whose mandates you identify with or whose whose work excites you, and then trying to find out how they how they make work or how they access work, you you'll definitely guarantee to find an artist working for that company who who would be able to. Point out different ways that you can access funding for your projects starting out, for sure.
0: Amanda, I'm curious, you know, on the on the other side, in terms of thinking about moving into some of these spaces and working in these uh, in these theaters in these venues, what have you observed over the last uh, over the last few years? That this is the time to be alive,
4: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and an artist, and a person of color because the opportunities have been flowing towards me. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, I created a short film with a friend of mine and we were short funding and George Floyd died and everybody was looking for ways to support black owned business and black art. And we happened to put out a campaign looking for money and it was filled within seconds. (laughs) And I said, wow, a man had to die for people to want to support so freely and quickly. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And yes, we there are more opportunities, but at the same time, I think the infrastructure is still poisoned because as... Uh, yes, I'm on a TV show, and yes, I'm a lead character on that TV show. However, two seasons in a row, there hasn't been someone to do my hair. And I'm a lead effing character. Number three on the call sheet, and there's no one to do my hair. So, yes, representation matters, and yes, inclusivity um, great leaps and bounds in equity and inclusion. However, you know, the core is still rotten. Mm. And uh, I know this huge tsunami has to shift mentalities too, because yes, I I went to school here and was raised in theater with a very colonial structure and way of working, being on time, that when I meet Artists who maybe don't work or directors or producers who don't work in that same structure. I'm Taken aback and I'm like this isn't this isn't the way I was raised artistically, and so I have my own mental shifts to go through as well Change has to happen
0: within before Outward (laughs) well, you you point to I mean, I think this has been a big focus though of um I mean, there's a lot to unpack in what you've just said, really beautifully. But I think the the one of the key pieces is is who's who's available to do work and who's getting hired, and what are the opportunities. Um, and I don't think you're the only person who shows up as a prominent character and doesn't have someone who knows how to do their hair or yeah. makeup or lighting appropriately. And so I, I I think that's a really great reminder, not just of the problems but also of the opportunities. And and so. I guess maybe a question for for you all is: How do we encourage folks to think about and and embrace more broadly the the professional opportunities, right? Not just above the line kind of work in these, but but also the the below the line, the design, the crews um, that that have real needs um, that need to be that need to be uh, em- embraced. Um, well,
5: so. I think that we have um, uh, really looked at artists to solve the problem Mm. of, you know, so like, what can I do to get X grant? What can I do to, you know, get support in this way? And um, I think to Amanda's point, um, there is a point at which the institutions have to change. Um, So I I know when I graduated, from this school it was all about selling myself and like how do i position myself and how do i brand what's my brand and all this um what i think of is actually noise and so i think some advice would be to just be who you are and i know that's really easy for me to say as like a you know cis uh, gendered heterosexual white woman but just try as hard as you can to do what feels authentic to you and really look for the partners that are going to match what you want. So you are looking, it's, um, you know, so, because your gift is a gift. And so to approach it in that way of who am I going to share my gift with? Um, because who you're, it's just that colonial mentality of like, I give you money, I give you money, I give you money. And then you are blessed with that, um, that laurel in some way, um, that's a sh- really difficult shift um, for institutions to make, but to, as a start to protect yourself and your own artistic integrity to come at it in um, not a defensive way, but in a like, this is what's what I am and I'm going to find the right home for me. And to keep believing that because it is it is hard.
0: What What are some changes you would like to see institutions make? Like if we were going to... Really think through some structural, durable changes, transformations. What what would that look like?
2: Can I jump in? Please. So, uh, so as a filmmaker, I am. Um, it, it's really interesting because I'm I'm a senior filmmaker who's been around and who's actually made work over what was a very difficult time for BIPOC uh, uh, people, and but. Working as a board member at CMPA and so forth, our entire focus, at least mine, I run a committee there, is on the institutions and how do we um, help institutions think differently. So, for example, we have had one of the questions that we talk about is, um, you know, black women, I made a documentary about this, by the way, Subjects of Desire, um, that... Our hair and the fact that we would walk into spaces and uh, and we we are not taking care of We are treated like our hair is something that we ourselves must either deal with or we're giving people who? Don't know how to do it, and then we're supposed to accept it. That's an institutional problem because the unions have behaved like that is normal so um w- CMPA and myself and 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 some of the people working in this space, we are actually saying this is not normal. This is not acceptable, and you have to fix this. Um, that's so. So that's one thing. Institutions, how they even do things like adjudication. Uh, Beth, you know, you now you're at TIFF Group, and you were on the, the the Canadian um, Screen Awards, Canadian Academies. Um, How the selection process was completely opaque to diverse people. Um, You know, one of the things that happened last year, after that last round, uh, your organization reached out to all of us, saying, "How do we do this better?" Or to a number of us, and we um, have sort of, you said, "This is how you do it better," and we're seeing these kinds of changes. It's the same with the broadcasters. The real problem, though, it's it is money, um, because At the end of the day, us artists, we are exhausted, senior artists, we're exhausted in uh, having to be there at every point to give guidance because, unfortunately, because we have not been in these spaces, they have very few people who can communicate about how to make those spaces better. The other thing, in terms of institutions, um, like I am always looking for business affairs people. The entire industry is Pleading for business affairs, people there there is it, it's there's such a dearth, and so filmmakers are left, um, especially new and emerging filmmakers, they're left with almost so little resources to to do that side of the business. A business, by the way, that is rife with paper. I think part of the way that they keep people from getting funding is to give paper, so it becomes a barrier, and that's been a strategy. But there are so few people who go to university or, you know, uh, you know, uh, college that come out with business affairs skills, like real tangible skills. Um, uh, and I think that's something that institutions have to really look at. Accounting is another thing. So, for example, accounting is, is kept as like something that's done in biz finance. Why is film school not actually developing um, a whole brand of people who are really creative with math, right? And creative with numbers. It's not and it's not actually math. There's a way of thinking about it. So I think that the schools are failing us and I think the organizations um, that exist have failed us and too much is being put on artists to help solve those problems. And but we have almost no choice because then nothing gets done. So that's kind of like my thoughts on it. <laughs>
3: Um, i just like to add, uh, I'm not with an institution. I apply to a lot of institutions, and I have the experience of pushing a lot of paper. <laughs> and that is true. Like, you don't get into filmmaking and uh, thinking that you're going to do that much paperwork, and it's definitely a skill um, to learn. The The work on set is kind of like the cherry on the cake. But my experience on the other side, outside of... Again, I'm not an institution, but I just wanted to share an experience because I am a huge... Uh, advocate for community grassroots uh, create solutions to a lot of these problems. That's been most of my work the last 15 years, and so just to share a story that um, a group of us of collaborators, um, people who are educators, scholars, media artists, and all that, we created a an initiative called the Creative Sovereignty Lab um, that is very much based currently on indigenous approaches to storytelling, but is also kind of um, looking at different approaches to filmmaking that still recognize that there are roles on set where you do have someone who's, you know, there's kind of a hierarchy, but that doesn't um, mean that we need to relate to each other in that hierarchy and have a lot of toxic behavior. So we're looking at this more circular approach on set, or if you could think like a horizontal left to right, and so we've created um, this framework based on a collective 10 to 15 years of experience in community grassroots. Um, and I'm getting to somewhere with a story with what you said. <laughs> so um, this is a framework that we developed. We, we shot a short film with it. We incorporated this. We went on set. We had a few days before and after going on set where we imagined the world that we wanted to build. Like, how do you want to feel like when you're on set as a woman or as a person of color or as an indigenous female director, which is one of the most horrible, uh, like when you look at statistics, the percentage is so little. So we reimagined this world. How do I want to feel? How do I want to relate to those on set with me? And we created this kind of magical universe. That's all (laughs) a film. And then we shot the film, we reflected on all this, and then this is a a framework that we're bringing on to a feature film that we're doing and pretty much anywhere on set where we go, which is very much based on the community with with which we work. And something uh, we got to do with this, we had a little bit of budget left over, so there were mentorship roles, and so people who wanted to be DPs or directors, they got to shadow, but not only shadow and observe, which I think traditionally in the past, it was like, come into the room and watch the director and you'll learn, and goodbye. In this case, we said, okay, how about you direct this next scene to someone who's never directed, or you hold this uh, camera that looks very scary, and you film it. And and it was great, and so they learned really hands-on experience and uh, skills, and then we were able to fund them to write their own scripts. And then, I like, my rebellion, <laughs> my re- rebellion-like uh, against this kind of barriers that I faced when working with institutions and applying is that um, we actually were able to set money aside so that these creators, most of them uh, were uh, black and indigenous, could get paid to spend time to work on their applications. And in addition to that, we sat, We, as a collective, we sat, we all opened our Excel spreadsheets and said, these are the funds that are available out there this is how you apply, because there were many stories of people who said, I have a script, but as soon as I went on the telefilm dialogue portal, I just got so scared, and I dropped my idea five years ago, and I've done nothing for five years. And so there's too many stories of, of creators wanting to tell stories and just being intimidated by the by the simple login portals, which I think maybe that's one institutional question. Like I understand that you want people to come into the system who know how to budget, who know business affairs, who know all these things, but also how do we make it accessible to people? Um, And so we, and actually from that group of of films, we were, two of them got funding and they're being shot in the summer and they're gonna be using the same framework, so it continues. So um, the way that I like to go around, because I feel impatient around, you know, waiting around for these institutional changes, which are happening, but for me, they're sometimes too slow for a kind of, the passion that I feel around it is to just kind of create our own ways and our own support system and our own um, accompaniment and capacity building with our peers, with those who are coming into the field. And just not, and one last thing is this idea of when I came in, you have to pay your dues. I'm not going to tell you how to do this because I went through this and I had to suffer a lot. And so. I'm not going to tell you my secrets, like, I achieved a success, you think I got this, you know, this paying our dues is something that I really challenge, and I, and I, my approach has been, how generous can we become with sharing knowledge? If I know how to create an account and a telefilm portal, I'm going to help you so that you can do it too, and so I think, in addition to the institutional change, it also has to come from the individual, and, and the community, and so generously feeding information, or right? like, how do you deal with casting and auditions and all these things we just that's kind of my approach to that question
0: that's amazing thank you thank you very much uh, for for all of that you've been listening to the final mile club radio a production of the school of the arts media performance and design at york university with generous support from jennifer ivy Bannock and members of the dean's advisory committee You can hear more exciting episodes by subscribing to this series or joining the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn. Do you have a burning question about life after graduation? Email us at fmcr at yorku.ca, and we will be sure to pose it to a future guest. Thanks for listening, and remember, although the way may be long, you don't have to go it alone.